when I saw the winter swimmers, I didn't, it didn't really match what I read. So there was something missing there. And only when I started doing this myself, I understood, aha, it's the connection between what is going on in your physiology and your brain. And that brain, body brain connection, I felt that suddenly. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome back everyone to the School of Greatness. Very excited about our guest. We have the inspiring Susanna Subert in the house. So good to see you. Welcome to the School of Greatness. Now, this is fascinating because you have a PhD in metabolism. You're essentially a cold and heat scientist. You study this about how people can optimize their metabolism to, to burn fat, to lose fat, the bad types of fat. And you've been studying this. Your research focuses on the effects of deliberate cold and heat exposure on metabolism and various aspects of human physiology. And in this interview, I want to really explore how exposing ourselves to extreme heat or extreme cold, whether it be saunas and ice, can have a profound impact on our overall health, can transform the way our body looks, how we feel, how we think, and how we attract more great things in our life. So that's what I want to explore today. And how long have you been doing your research on metabolism as a PhD, and what is the greatest finding that you've discovered from all your years of research so far? Oh, that's a good question, definitely. So I've been doing this kind of research for since 2016, where I initially got into um, the research field of something called the brown fat. And we're going to elaborate on that just a little bit later, but the brown fat was, is part of our metabolism. And I wanted to figure out what, how can we activate this kind of healthy tissue in the body in ways to get ourselves healthier and also to lose fat. So that's the main thing. So it's a new discovery that this kind of um, healthy fat, if you activate that with code, then you increase your metabolism and you can lose weight. Mm. And even if you have type 2 diabetes, it's a really good way to lowering your glucose levels in your blood. So with that in mind, I started this kind of research where I was looking into how can we as humans, without taking any pills with this, just how can we naturally activate this tissue we have in order for us to increase our metabolism. Gotcha. And then cold and heat come, came into the picture. And I started in 2016, just trying to like figure out how do, how do people um, use cold and heat today? Can we activate the brown fat with cold air and how about cold water as in Denmark we do a lot of cold water swimming mm -hmm. so that idea pretty quickly came up as a fun way to activate the brown fat but nobody has done it yet so that's exactly where I started. What's the, What's been the biggest finding so far in researching metabolism for the last seven eight years and doing these studies? The research that I did was in metabolism and brown fat activation and we found, we found that if you activate your brown fat by doing deliberate cold exposure, so winter swimming in cold water, and you do that for 
multiple seasons, then you can increase your brown fat activation. You will also have a better glucose balance, meaning that you will have a more efficient way of getting rid of the sugar in your bloodstream because it's just more efficient and lower uh, insulin levels, which mm. is a good thing um, to have low insulin levels. That means that all your cells in your body are very like prone to feel if there's sugar available. And if there's sugar available, we should have a fast metabolism to get the sugar out of the bloodstream and into your cells so you don't get that high blood sugar levels. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you found that the cold. So you were first off researching about metabolism. Was it more on how to lose weight or how our metabolism works? So more basic science, like what is this tissue? Can it activate the, the metabolism? And I wasn't doing my studies or cell studies, so I wanted to see if intervention in humans could actually make a difference um, on something like blood pressure, um, brown fat activation, uh, glucose metabolism, and uh, insulin levels. So I had all these measures, which are like more the hardcore outcomes, mm. but it was also a way to see, can we can we use this in a, like a um, lifestyle intervention? Yes. Because that will help people get healthier. And were the interventions that you were researching only cold and heat therapy, or were there other types of interventions you were studying for activating metabolism? That's a great question, yeah. I am, so in, in research, you, you have to focus on some things right. because it takes a lot of, of reading and learning on specific things. So when people do a PhD, they have to be very narrow in what they do in order for them to become really experts in mm -hmm. what they do and, and understanding what they're doing because so much is happening in the body when you research just one cell or one mechanism, mm -hmm. one pathway. And I was researching both the cold and the heat and even a way to uh, use that as a lifestyle intervention. So I did a lot of field studies before. So researching how do winter swimmers go out winter swimming? How do they use the heat? And how does that affect our uh, physiology and biochemistry? So it, it was kind of both things. So it, it was huge for me to study all that wow. at the same time. Wow. Um, in terms of the types of fat the body has, because there's brown fat and there's white fat. Is that correct? Is yeah. there a different type of fat that we have as humans? Those are two very distinct kind of tissues. Okay. That's true. And what's the difference between brown fat and white fat? And are there other types of fat? Or is that the main fat that we have in our body? Yeah, so that's the main fat okay. that we have in the body. So people know about the white fat. And the white fat is the bad fat the unhealthy kind of fat that we want to get rid of. It's on the belly, on the stomach, and around our inner organs, and it's called visceral fat. Okay. And we want to get rid of that because that's what increases our risk of type 2 diabetes, obesity, which is like increasing a lot at the moment because you can see in 2030, it's estimated that around almost 50% of the people in the U.S. would be on the obese scale. Really? Yeah. So that's, that's how it's estimated that at this moment. So um, by 2030, and we, we are getting there, right? Yeah. It's, it's soon. And so, so that's the visceral white fat that yeah. causes people to be obese. Yeah. What causes a human being to gain so much fat? What are the main factors? So that's if people um, stop moving. So if people are not exercising enough, not moving enough, um, if they eat unhealthy kinds of fat, which is processed food these days. Um, so unhealthy kinds of food and too much of it. So there is like, 
if you don't burn the calories that you take in, it will convert to white fat. And the body is per, like, that's how we are built. We want to survive, okay? So that's the body's just built to survive. And because you used to starve, right? At moments, we had fasting periods uh, back in the days where we don't have um, all the um, food available all the time, but we do today. So the the body is calling for food all the time. As soon as you just get, uh, after a few hours, four hours, five hours, you get hungry. And the more you actually eat, the more um, the white cells are sending a signal to the brain that you need to eat because otherwise you would tear off from the white fat and you need that kind of storage. So the white fat is actually something we need. It's a storage to survive, but we don't need that big a storage, right? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, so we try to like figure out how can we lose weight, but not with um, any more drugs, because in my opinion, we have enough we have enough pills in the world, even for obesity and for type 2 diabetes. We also need to think about how can we help people not get the, this obese. So exercise is definitely number one thing that we need to do. But on top of that, it seems that if you use cold and heat um, therapy, then you can also boost your metabolism even more and top that off. And that's going to also tear off some of the white fat because you also activate the brown fat. And back to your question was that what is the difference between these two tissues? So to say it very short, the white fat is storing your your fat in, in the body and the brown fat is um, using the fat in the body. So the brown fat can eat off the white fat. Interesting. Yeah. So we want more brown fat. Yes. And we want the brown fat to be healthier, it sounds like, or more efficient yeah. so that it can burn the visceral white fat from our body. And I think I'm hearing you correctly that the internal fat that's in our organs or inside of us sounds to be more dangerous than the external fat that's on the outside. Is that correct? Yeah, that's and that we is can't, correct. And we can't see that, right? It's internal, no, exactly. but it affects our organs, our hearts, you know, our digestive system, I'm assuming all these different things to be efficient in our body or inefficient. So we could have a little fat on the outside, but a lot of fat on the inside and still be not well. Is that right? That is, yeah, that is well. That is so true. And actually, we, if you start being inactive, that is the first place around your inner organs where the white fat will put itself. So you cannot maybe see it at once that you're getting fatter, but you can maybe see that your fitness level is going down. Then you can see that um, you you are maybe also getting more out of breath e easier if you do a run or something like that. That is telling you that you are not as fit as you were before. And correlating with that is increase in white fat. And it starts around your inner organs, which is the most dangerous kind of fat storage, you can say. And then it also puts, as you said, on the outside. Excess, yeah, yeah. on the outside. Yeah. So when you were doing these interventions and studying cold therapy and, and heat therapy. What was it about cold therapy that you was a big aha for you when you started to either apply it with case studies and with yourself practicing this? What was the research telling you about the power of cold therapy and activating the brown fat, the metabolism, losing weight, all these different things? Oh my God, it, it told me a lot. <laughs> It told me something on a scientific level, but also on a personal level. Because when I was researching this, reading everything I could around this, doing my own research in it, started also 
doing winter swimming myself. And that is where I learned how this is actually connected. Because I, I was reading how is our physiology affected? How is the biochemistry affected? And I did understand that. And I did understand how is our neurotransmitters activated and how is the brain and how is the physiology and also the psycho psychological effects of this. But when I saw the winter swimmers, I didn't, it didn't really match what I read. So there was something missing there. And only when I started doing this myself, I understood, aha, uh -huh, it's the connection between what is going on in your physiology and your brain. And that brain, body brain connection, I felt that suddenly. And also this increase in uh, gra gratitude, I wow. think it is. Yeah. So when I felt that, I was like, now I understand the happiness afterwards. Why do people go into the water with another mood, but get out in completely another mood? I could not understand it really, but I did when I started doing this myself. I would say it was painful at the beginning, but once you get over that, you increase your, your pain threshold, that's what you do, then you start to enjoy it and you can then feel the neurotransmitters, you cannot feel them increase, but you feel the effects of it afterwards. And then what you've thought about before is not as important or as bad as it was when you go up from the water. Mm -hmm. So I think that transition, I did not understand from the research, but I understood it when I did it myself. So doing it yourself, yeah. yeah. So you were, you were reading the research. Yeah. And you didn't make the full connections until you started to apply it yourself and see the actual effects yeah. emotionally, mentally, and physically. Yeah. Now, what has the science shown us and proven about the power of, you know, getting in the ice? How long should we get in the ice for? How many times a week should we get in for? And when can we start to see the impact and the results of this type of therapy? Yeah, so there, was, there are actually not that much research saying exactly how many times should you do this per week. I'm sure more will come. But in my research, we did do like a protocol for this. We, we, um, we had them uh, note down how much they went into the water and we tracked them with watches and had them um, do this kind of diary. So we knew exactly how many times they were in the water, how many seconds. Wow. And we also recruited them based on how many times they went into the water. And that was actually based on me not being a winter swimmer myself. And because I didn't want to do something extreme because I more believe in in the, you can say, hermetic effect of cold and heat therapy. Uh -huh. Just like exercise, I studied why is exercise healthy. That's because you have this healthy kind of stress. So there's bad stress and healthy stress. And the healthy stress is the acute response. So I was thinking if we can apply that to, to my research saying, okay, we want winter swimmers to only do this very briefly. So not studying those who winter swim for a very long time, but just very brief. Um, then we recruited people who had done winter swimming for two seasons to see how does their brown fat look compared to a match control group. And when we then watched them swim for a season and, and measured their brown fat on multiple times and we tested so many things, it took biopsies and everything. But what we then discovered was that they did 11 minutes of cold water swimming per week in total, but divided on two to three days. And per day, they went into the water three times. 
So if you divide that out in, in just minutes, that would be about one to two minute, minutes uh, each dip, which is not that long. It's not long. It's not long. I mean, everybody can who is healthy and uh, and don't have heart diseases or unregulated high blood pressure, I mean, they can build this up slowly over time. And it's feasible, I think, yes. even for me, who <laughs> right, right. I didn't want to, to become a winter swimmer because I was afraid of the cold myself. So I was thinking this is this is really good because it's actually feasible. And and we did actually see that there was a difference between these two groups. So 11 minutes per week for the cold. So 11 minutes per week for the cold. You had one group doing that. And what was the other group? They were just not in the ice at all. Yeah. And what were the benefits? How long did it take for them to get benefits? And what were those benefits? So the control group were not allowed to do any kind of winter swimming. No ice baths, no, no ice baths. cold shower, yeah, none of that no, stuff. No cold shower, showers or uh, even go to the swim hole or and no no saunas and stuff like that. But it was no problem because they didn't do that anyway. Right, right, so, right. They couldn't so, do heat or cold. No. They had to be neutral water. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. So even going to the spa was like a thing. They were not allowed. <laughs> that was an agreement. How long was this for? How many months or? So it's about, it was five, six months around uh, that time. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, actually, it was it was probably longer, maybe seven months when I think about it. Yeah. yeah so it's it was a winter swimming season. Ah, okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. In, so in, about six months, you got a control group. They weren't allowed to do hot or cold therapy, and then you had another control group that did roughly around eleven minutes a week yeah. of ice therapy. Yeah. Uh, multiple times a week, sometimes a minute, sometimes two minutes at a time. Yeah. And so after six months of these two different groups, what did you notice as the results? So we noticed that after these six months, they this this must have been their uh, third winter swimming season. So this is built upon multiple seasons, of course, but I think it would have been the same for the second season. It goes pretty fast, and I can I can tell you why in a minute. It's so we saw that they had more activation of the brown fat. So we measured that with both um, PET CT scannings, but we measured specifically also how much heat they um, increase from the brown fat because that's the end product from brown fat. The brown fat is actually our inner radiator, you can say. It's the, this little furnace that increases our heat in the body so we don't freeze to death. Mm. So, so the the and main it, and goal. helps you burn the white fat, the and visceral it burns fat. The, yeah, so how it works, I'm just going to tell you that. Um, so the brown fat, when it's activated with cold, um, as soon as you get cold on the skin, you have to regulate your temperature in your body, right? So you don't get too cold. So in order for us to keep the neutral 37 degrees uh, body temperature, you need to regulate that. So there will be a signal to the brain where we have this temperature regulating center saying, well, it's getting a little bit too cold here. So we will increase noradrenaline. And noradrenaline is a neurotransmitter, but also a hormone that will activate on the surface of the brown fat cells. And that's gonna burn some calories because it takes fuel to activate those brown fat cells. It takes glucose in and fat into the cells where these small mitochondria will then use that as fuel to generate heat. Interesting. So we get warmer, actually. So, so that's when we get cold air, cold water. Cold water. Um, and then our, there's an adrenaline switch in our brain that signals to our cells 
in the get, brown fat. In the yeah. brown fat, yeah. get hotter. Get warmer. Yeah. Get warmer because, because you're you, going to die if you yeah. keep freezing, right? Exactly. Essentially, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. So get warmer and activate yourself to be a heater in the brown fat, yeah. which will then keep your body warm, but but use energy from the, the stored visceral white fat to to generate heat. As fuel. It's as like, fuel. Yeah. So we want more of that to happen, it sounds like, to burn that fat, essentially, right? Yes. Okay. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so continue that i just wanted to get clear on that yes but it was very clear that's yeah. good so the brown fat activated um your their thermogenesis so increased heat so their ability to increase heat was higher in the winter swimmers they were just warmer in general so on the surface of their skin, they were just warmer. So that means they dump a lot of heat. So they have a high heat loss rate, you can say. And then you could ask, okay, if they are hotter, they're warmer, and they lose a lot of heat, they have to generate heat in order for them not to get cold, too cold. <laughs> so we need our vital organs to stay the same temperature, right? So in order for you to keep that temperature, core temperature up, and you're dumping a lot of heat, then you will have to activate more of your metabolism just in general. But what we then observed was that um, we also had them sleep at the laboratory afterwards. And where we could see that even just at neutral temperatures, sitting in a bed, not doing physical activity or anything, just being there and not increasing their metabolism in other ways, they had just this basic um, higher uh, increase of heat coming from the brown fat. Mm -hmm which could indicate that they also just basically had more activation of the brown fat. We would have to study that more to be more clear on what exactly is going on here. But I think it's very interesting that we saw that basically they had more activation of the brown fat when they were cold, but also when they were not cold. So all the time it was so activating. All the time. It was activating, yeah. which, is, which means that they were generating more energy, therefore burning more fat. Burning right? more fat, yeah. Wow. Exactly. Consistently. So it means they have a more optimal metabolism, it sounds like, right? Yeah. That's interesting. So even when they weren't in the cold, they were just hotter in general. They were hotter in general. And that's also because they, when you do cold exposure, but also because they do the sauna, they have a higher blood flow to the skin. And because of that um, vasoconstriction and vasodilation, they increase the blood flow to the skin, meaning that they have a higher heat loss uh, rate. And for that also, so it's both the, the, the sauna, but also the cold that would generate that blood flow to the skin and make uh, make your blood vessels contract and dilate better. Wow. Yeah. Because we have this increase in dilation and contracting of the, of the blood vessels, then we can dump more heat, but we can also contract the, the, the vessels better. 
Meaning if you get adapted to the cold, which our winter swimmers were, they could also just shut out the, the, the cold even better. Meaning that over time, they get adapted to the cold water and then they can sit in the water for these two, one to two minutes. And in that way, building up that, um, you can say almost blocking out. Uh, almost not cold. feel cold at all. Yeah, well, they, they or do. Or less cold. Less cold, less, less fast cold, you can say. Because if you're not adapted, you almost just take it in. You're because, like freezing, you're shaking <laughs> yeah, the first time. Yeah. yeah, and your vessels are contracting, of course, but not as efficiently as an adapted winter swimmer. Interesting. Cold right, right. Wow, this is fascinating. So if someone, what happens to the body and to the brain when someone jumps in an ice tub or cold freezing water for one to three minutes. What is happening physiologically to the brain and the body when they do that? Yes, there was so much going on. It's it's insane. It Everything, all the cells in the body, everything is activated because this is a moment where the body thinks or acts as if you are gonna die because it's such a huge threat to the body. You could die within 20 minutes in cold water 15 minutes, a half an hour, depending on the temperature and how, of course, you are in the water. If you accidentally fall in, then that's, of course, dangerous. But we are talking about deliberate cold exposure here. So if you do this on deliberate purpose and you know how to get in and up, and you should always do that, you always have an escape plan, then you should think about this as a healthy way of shocking the body. So you shock the body, and that is activating all your cold receptors on the body when you submerge into the cold water. And that's going to send a signal to the brain. I talked to that just before. And that's going to increase dopamine in the brain and all the cytokines, that's um, noradrenaline, which is activating the brown fat immediately because now you are uh, activating your sympathetic nervous system and that is your fight and flight response. So everything is activated wow. in the body. Um, the brain is, you would imagine that because you are jumping into cold water, you will have a higher blood flow to the brain. A lot of people say that, I've heard, but quite the opposite is actually happening. So when you go into cold water, you will have a decrease of blood flow to the brain. A restriction. Is that so, a good thing or is that a... But that's a risk, I would say. It's a risk that you don't get as much oxygen to the brain as you did when you're normally just walking around meaning that you will have to be mindful around how you go in, how are you holding on to something, are you new to this, and never do it alone. Right. Because you could get lightheaded, you can even faint, some people do, and especially if you do some kind of breath hold before you go in, or hyperventilation, I would just not recommend that. Um, Always try to do slow nasal breathing in the water. If you are new to this, right. you it's probably can. It's challenging your first time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to slow down your mm, sympathetic nervous system by activating your parasympathetic nervous system. But that is really hard in the beginning, but you can try. So, but one thing I would just start, say that people should avoid is uh, doing hyperventilating breath work before and in the water because that's definitely going to activate your sympathetic nervous system even more, decreasing the blood flow to the brain and oxygen to the brain and increase CO2 and you will have less oxygen 
um, delivered to all your cells in the body. And that's, that's a risk, right? So what you want to do is slow nasal breathing, or you can even do in through the nose and then out through the mouth. If, if you can do that and try to like keep calm and thinking about that there's, there's nothing wrong in just breathing through the mouth. If you're panicking, that's, that's of course one thing you have to do, but then go out and make it a good experience and then you can go in again. Sure. But what you do is activating the sympathetic nervous system. If you can breathe through the cold shock response, then you are definitely good. Um, you can rehearse that and then you will activate more the parasympathetic nervous system. So what is going on here? Well, the first thing, you activate your fight and flight system, the sympathetic nervous system. All your stress hormones are going up, no adrenaline and dopamine. Uh, you have um, even oxytocin going off, actually, mm-hmm. um, which is also uh, making you grateful and, and you have this love hormone in your brain. But you should just be mindful that the only thing that you can use to c- have, get control of your sympathetic nervous system is your breath. Right. But if you can do that and you can get breathe through the cold shock response, you will get calmer afterwards. And if you put water to the face, also on your face, then you will also activate your vagus nerve, which will help you a bit. And So don't just go, you know, below the neck. Also put water in the face when you're doing it. Well, you could, yeah. It's hard, though. It's hard, though. It's cold. <laughs> well, one thing I think that people should maybe try to avoid is the head dog, if yeah. anything. Really? Yeah. Avoid it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Even if you're more advanced or you've been doing it for a while, you still think avoid it? Well, it's just because... Avoiding it will help you keep your heat up in the body. So it's to avoid hypothermia. And hypothermia is a risk. And it's a process. As soon as you go into the water, you are on the process of hypothermia. Wow. <laughs> you are. Yeah. So, um, and you don't want your core temperature to go down to 35. But we do see research showing that if you submerge to the neck, then you have all this. You have your fat. You have your tissue, bones. Everything is protecting you from a very rapid heat, lo- cold, heat loss of the core. Um, but that rate will still be high because the water is cold, right? But if you then dunk the head, then you will increase that heat loss rate up to 36% extra. Wow. So you don't want to lose heat that fast because it could be dangerous potentially. And also because you could faint when you don't get that oxygen to the brain. Yeah. So I'm just saying that the head dunk is not necessary. You will get all the benefits just by in going into the water up to the neck. And it's more safe. And, um, of course, you should do that with other people around you to keep it safe. Is there a certain temperature we should be at when we get in the ice or cold therapy? Uh, so cold uh, water is, per definition, 15 degrees Celsius and, and under. What is that Fahrenheit, Tino? I'll look it up later, but... 15 70, degrees, 70? 76 or something? Okay. I don't, I don't know. Because <laughs> I usually, I usually go in around 44 degrees Fahrenheit. Is what is it? 59 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, 59. Yeah, yeah, 59. 59. So under 60. Yeah, under 60. Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. um, yeah, I usually go around 44 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. I'm not sure what that is. That might probably under 10 degrees. But Celsius. that's under 10 degrees. Yeah. 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 And it's cold. And it's, it's cold. cold. Well, the thing is that if you. If we look at how the me- the metabolism is activated, because really that, that shows that you have activated your sympathetic nervous system. 
And if you want to get the benefits, you would just have to look at when is your sympathetic nervous system activated. And you can do that with higher degrees than, than that. Right, right. So you don't have to go that cold all the time. Um, you could also go a little bit warmer, then a little bit colder, just to keep increasing that exercise for your cells where you increase that hormetic stress and you increase the, the heat shock proteins in the cells, which repairs the cells and the enzymes and make that cell stronger. It if repairs you it. It repairs it. And it, if you don't overdo it, so if you overdo it, sit in a cold tub for 10 minutes or something like that, I would, su I would su suspect that that would be too much for the body if you do that over a longer time. We, we do need research which shows that how is the higher threshold for this and both temperature-wise but also timing-wise. Sure. Right? So I've been doing cold therapy or ice baths for about 22 years. I started when I was 18. That's a lot. <laughs> right? I started, now, it's been off and on for yeah. 22 years, but I started when I was 18 all through college. I did it probably three times a week. After football practice, I would do it almost daily. Um, and it was probably in the high 50 degrees. Mm -hmm. It was probably like 58, 59, somewhere around there. It was 55 every now and then. And it was usually a waist below. Yeah. It was a tub, like a you know, cold plunge tub that we had for sports. It was kind of waist below. And I always felt the physical effects afterwards where it was like I practiced and trained very hard. My legs were tired and they were sore. Yeah. I'd get in there for five minutes, waist below, and I'd feel like recharged. I'd feel Fantastic. like, you know, my muscles were lighter. They were recovered. How long did a lot you sit? Better. Maybe five or six minutes. Five, you know? six minutes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it was always waist below. So it wasn't as cold as if it was up by the neck. Yeah. Right? So you could tolerate it more and it was yeah. just the legs. And I always felt better and I felt better the next day after I would get some sleep after that and then recovered. I felt like, man, I can can hop around, I can use my legs better, they were more efficient. So I got the benefits from that, you know, over those years of college. Now over the last 10 years, I started to get more into it just from understanding, okay, how do I optimize my life? How do I burn more fat? By learning more about some of this. Um, but when you did the controlled studies, the two different studies, those that did ice therapy and those that did not for those six months, did you see more fat loss and those that did the ice therapy in this study, did you see that they that they got stronger muscles? Did they, you know, did their blood change? Did they did they feel younger? What were the other benefits to the control group that jumped in the the ice mm. throughout that time? That's really good question. So, um, did it help them reverse their age, their biological? You know, clock or <laughs> did it do any of these other things? Yeah, well, you, you can say that if you have a lower blood pressure, I think it's a really good. Blood pressure is, sounds a bit boring, but it's actually a super interesting outcome and a very stable outcome when you look at uh, how well your metabolism is, how well your cardiovascular, uh, is, cardiovascular system is functioning. So if you can lower your blood pressure by some intervention, then it's, a, it's an intervention that you should appreciate at least. Because we did see that the winter swimmers had a lower blood pressure and heart rate basic level, baseline level. So that means that they probably have lower inflammation and uh, also a better metabolism, which we also did see from measuring the brown fat. But we also saw that they had um, a better glucose metabolism. So meaning that they were, when they 
drink this sugared drink, it, it's it's a glucose tolerance test. They it's processed called. it better, right? Exactly. It was more efficient. Drink, it's more efficiently getting rid of the sugar from the bloodstream. It's not storing the fat, it's it's getting it out. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we did that test and we did see that they had a faster glucose metabolism. They also had um, lower insulin levels. So the insulin levels have to be as low uh, as we can because that means that our cells are very um, um, sensitive to sugar. And that's good because then you don't have all that sugar floating around in your blood circulation. Sure. Um, what else did we see? So they actually also built up, and this sounds a little bit con contraintuitive, in, in, in I, would, I would say maybe, that they built, they had, we, we took some biopsies from their white fat to see how does it look. And it seems like they have this higher lipolysis, but also uh, lipogenesis. Um, they, sorry, they had higher lipogenesis. So um, building up the white fat. So... That could be because they increase their metabolism so much that the body is trying to keep the storage up. So the lipogenesis, meaning that the that um, the white fat cells try to restore the fat cells that they are losing all the time. Really? Yeah. And we did see the winter swimmers had a lower fat percentage. We, of course, because of the the, nat the how the the nature of this study, uh, we could not tell whether it was because they did one half an hour, one hour of more exercise per week, or if it was because they did, but it's not that much of a difference, I would say. But they also did the winter swimming and also the the, the sauna. The heat each. as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, and that's going to top off your your metabol uh, your exercise and metabolism even further. So it makes sense that they probably have a bit of a lower fat percentage. And at the same time, we did see in the white fat that they had a higher... Um, lipogenesis. So what the is lipogenesis? Lipogenesis is um, um, a way to measure so how fast or how much does the body wants to increase the fat in the white cells to save that plane. So, so, so the, those bodies that were doing the cold and heat, their white fat cells were reproducing faster is what it sounds like. It, yeah. Because they were also burning, burning so fast. Burning it off, yeah. So they're like, okay, we need to yeah. stick around here yeah. to protect you if there's a, yes. you know, a, a fast. And so they were building fat cells yeah. just as fast as they were burning them. Um, maybe not. Okay, but, but it was it stronger. Was trying to. <laughs> right, right. But it was burning them so fast Yeah. more than it was keeping yeah. you. Yeah, because we, we also need that depot to survive in times of fasting. Right. And uh, this body is just old, you know. It's an old DNA where we were going hunting and we didn't always have that much food that we have today. So the body is still the same. We try to keep the storage and, and, and we were hunters and gatherers once, right? So it was like our periods of time where we didn't have anything. So we need that storage in order for us to have like a little bit of food some yes. when we don't have any food. So we are still we still have that so we still try to build that and i mean it, as long as you can say as long as you are aware of your hunger during cold and heat exposure you will get more hungry probably um and you don't overeat then you you are prone to lose weight i would say but why don't we see winter swimmers losing a lot of weight i don't think we see that in denmark i don't think that winter swimmers are particularly 
um, thinner or skinnier really? than than others. You no. still have to cons you still have to know how much you're consuming and exactly. eating. You could yeah. you could swim in the ice tub. Yeah five times a week, but be eating 5,000 calories a day yeah. and you're going to be obese. Yeah, exactly. You're going to gain more weight if you're consuming more than you need. Now, I'm curious about mental health and ice therapy or ice and heat therapy. I don't know if you studied the gratitude levels, the level of you know harmony and peace that people were experiencing or maybe you can't talk about the science of it, but did you notice any differences between the two control groups? Those that were doing cold and heat therapy versus those that were living their lives and not doing that. Was there a level of happiness that was increased or gratitude or appreciation or a level of calm and peace from those that were doing cold and ice? Or did you, were you able to notice that at all? Oh yeah, really? absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. What did you find in terms of mental health around that? So, this is just the observations now. Um, so I did notice that our group of winter swimmers were definitely just also telling us that they are more happy now and they are more calm now than before. Really? What we did after this study that we published in Cell Reports Medicine was a randomized controlled trial. It's not uh, published yet. But what we saw here was we did an intervention where we had all the winters, all the, the subjects in the study wanting to winter swim, but half of them became the control group of half of them became the intervention group. So none of them had actually tried this before. And this is where we really did see the difference. So I could not see that in the other study I, I just mentioned because they were already winter swimmers when I met sure. them. Yeah. This was a new group that this never is, done it. This was just a new group, yeah. And so, half of them got to do it, the other half didn't get to do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. So what we did see here was that as soon as they started winter swimming, they changed the mood when they came into the lab and also when we were meeting up with them out on the jetty. Um, they were just happier human beings. Yeah, so I think the most, um, you can say, uh, the best story of this was this guy who was, he was kind of like a very firm one, like he, and he was angry. I think he was a bit angry when he met in, he was angry, but he knew what he wanted and he had his company. He had a lot of employees and he, wa he was busy, but he wanted to be in this study. And I was amazed, I was like, wow, you want to spend time in this when you were so busy. Um, but of course he was, he was very good on pointing on time and that's a good subject. <laughs> so I wanted him in the study and also just to observe how would that change his mood. He told me before um, we started the, the, the winter swimming part, he uh, told me that um, he always yelled at people in his car. So I had this rage. Uh, road rage. Road rage, wow. yeah. And that's, that's not fun. I mean, <laughs> it's not fun for him to so be. He was an angry person. Yeah. He was, he was frustrated, yeah, ir yeah. irritated. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he, he was irritated. But then he told me well, after he started winter swimming and we met in the, the lab again to lab test, I think it was a one month or two months into his winter swimming. And he came into the lab flying, I would say like da -da, into, <laughs> and he was like, I cannot describe how much this has changed for me, my mood. And then he told me a story about now where he winter swims before he goes to work, goes into his car and he just, what is this called? Like you just. It just goes with the flow. Yeah, he's it goes relaxed. with the flow. And yeah. Just says to, to the other car, come in in Go front ahead, of yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cut me yeah. off. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. 
yeah so more easygoing more um more balanced maybe um and then he told me that in the meetings or in the morning he had his employees uh, always at this first meeting but one of them came to him and said we've been talking and something has changed with you and we cannot tell what is going on but something has changed. Right. Did you, you fall in so love somewhere? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. What, what, what has changed? And he has not told them that he started this study. Really? In this study. So he told me this story and he was like, I didn't know that I was projecting this kind of like more easy going or um, balanced mood or he didn't know, but he was definitely more relaxed when he came into the meetings. Wow. So I remember this, this particularly this subject made an impression on me. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Now, is there a benefit over being submerged in cold water versus a shower, cold shower? Is there a difference in the impact and the positive effects of that? That's a really good question. And many, many people ask me that because it's the one thing is that cold showers are available for most people, right? So it's a good place to start if you maybe not if you don't have access to the ocean and you need to buy a top and that's expensive maybe so start off with the cold shower is a great thing because you activate your sympathetic nervous system you activate your brown fat you are doing that yeah okay it definitely you could do that just by going outside in a t-shirt Interesting. And yeah as soon as you get you change the temperature on your body you will activate your cold receptors and that's going to increase and turn off and balance out your temperature by activating the brown fat and eventually also the muscles if you need to increase temperature further, right? So the cold showers will be a great way to start, but it will probably not activate your parasympathetic nervous system. On co the contrary, probably, because it's just making you very cold and you don't get the activation from your diving response, which you do when you submerge in the, into the the top. You could help it with splashing water to the face by activating the vagus uh, nerve, but um, eventually it would be two different ways of activating your um, both your neurotransmitters and also your uh, nervous system and, and your metabolism. You don't need to do cold showers for more than 30 seconds. Really? No. It's, it's, you don't have to do that long. Am I right? Yeah. And, but what about, you know, the the cold tubs or the cold rivers or the cold lakes or whatever, is it better to be submersed in cold water or is a cold shower equally as good in your mind? Um, I think submerging the body, it has more benefits than, than just uh, the cold showers. And this has much to do with the physiology also, because when you go, when you submerged into cold water, you will have the, what do you say, the exercise of the best, uh, the blood vessels. Um, so you will have the constriction, mm -hmm. and when you then go up, you will have the dilation afterwards. If you then only do the, the cold showers, you will only have activation of the sympathetic nervous system. Oh, or mainly, see. you will have uh -huh. that mainly. Mm -hmm. If you activate the sympathetic nervous system in the cold water, if you submerge, you could, if you can get over the cold shock, you will have the, paras the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system. So if you don't have any heart problems, that will mean you will you will increase your fight and flight response, but then also you will feel the rest afterwards in the parasympathetic activation. Got it, got it. But if you do have heart problems and you do have unregulated high blood pressure, uh, blood pressure um, 
it's not recommended that you submerge into a cold bath. Mm. I wouldn't recommend that. Because there is a conflict when you activate the sympathetic nervous system and also the parasympathetic nervous system at the same time. So the heart is like increasing, right? So sympathetic nervous system makes the heart rate go up and the parasympathetic wants it to go down. At the same time, it's a bit of conflict for the heart. So, so that means that you will experience arrhythmias to the heart. So for people who are uncertain about their heart health or maybe don't know their blood pressure, I would definitely recommend that you just get your blood pressure measured. It's yeah. non-invasive. It's something you can yeah. you can even buy these things and do it. Do yourself. Yeah, I mean, and you can also just go to your doctor if you're uncertain about, is this for me? Because you have something, then ask your doctor. What, what I'm hearing you say is when someone is getting in the ice or the cold therapy consistently, weekly, over many months, something changes in their in their brain mm-hmm. and it affects their mood. Yeah. And their overall brain changes, their chemistry and their body changes and things start to shift. What would you say that change is in the brain and the body with consistent cold therapy? So I think, yes, yeah, so we can talk about neurotransmitters because I think that something changes and that's the chemistry, the, the brain chemistry, right? So if you submerge into cold water, you have an increase in dopamine. It could be up to five times higher or two, two and a half times higher to up to five. Um, but you also have the increase in noradrenaline and noradrenaline is what I talked about before. It's also activating the brown fat, but it gives you all that energy. And the dopamine gives you that drive and that motivation to do this again, even. So repeating something that you felt good about. And that's why we say in Denmark that winter swimming is addictive because eventually when you have done this a couple of times, you would, the body and the brain will connect this to a very good experience. And you have this increase in oxytocin, um, which is a stress hormone, right? So you will have this increase in oxytocin, makes you feel this love towards yourself, the nature, each other, and that's going to make you more grateful. And imagine now that you have increased all these neurotransmitters that makes you feel on different levels more, feel better, right? That was just the stress hormones. So we also have serotonin, which is activating in when you activate the parasympathetic part of your nervous system. So if you have all these, you can imagine how that changes your baseline way of thinking about yourself, your problems, the world, when you go out, the way that you think about that before you went in has to change when you go out because you have changed your your chemistry in the brain. So you view the world in another way. You have to because you just changed all this, this all that chemistry. Yeah. So all these chemicals are turned on when you submerge yourself for a minute couple minutes in the cold therapy and cold water. And if you do that consistently, you're just automatically going to be a happier, more positive person. Your body forces you to love yourself and love others more is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. It sounds a little bit magical, but it's it's like forcing self-love and love for others. Yeah. It could be that, I mean, even though it sounds a little bit magical when we talk about it like this, but this is just this is just chemistry. It's this, science. It's just science. Yeah. Science. <laughs> this is what happens. So when this increases in the brain, it has to change the baseline. And imagine when you do this multiple times per week, this would change the way that you see yourself, 
the gratitude to to the world, your yourself, others, your family, and how you project that, your way of seeing things, you project some energy, right? And that energy will be received by others. They will cast that back at you. And in that way, you you will be able to change the way you work around in your own world wow. or, and with others. So it could really change a lot if you could just change the way you see the world. You 100%. See, your, see yourself or your problems. Do you feel like cold therapy allows you to heal your body, but also allows you to heal your mind? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And I mean, this is not my, the way it's healing the the mind is not part of my own research, but this is what I talked about in the beginning. The connection between these two, the the body and the brain is really not that, the, it's not divided. So I figured out that if I was studying this metabolism, I needed to understand the rest and I needed to understand how the brain is connected also to the brown fat because it is. It's yes. just it's activated by your central nervous system. Wow. So it's actually the you can say something in between, right? So even though I studied metabolism, I also studied the brain because I had to understand how is the body affected in mm. this cold water. And the brain is affected and how you feel afterwards will be affected because of the chemistry that happens. Yeah, just the body thinking you're about to die. <laughs> this is amazing. So you're you're forcing gratitude in the body chemically. You can't even control it. You're just going to feel better. You're going to have more love, more you know patience, more gratitude, the more consistent you do this. I love this. And I've definitely felt those effects myself. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about heat therapy. And you know we talked a little bit about ice therapy, um, but I'm curious about heat therapy. I've got a sauna. I finally, got my first home this year. Oh, you do? And so I never, you know, I had to go to the gym to use the sauna. Yeah. So now I have a space that I can, I have my own. Um, and I have a, a Swedish style sauna, not an infrared sauna. So first I want to ask, is there a difference between types of saunas? And then what are the main benefits that you've seen from studies on heat therapy as well? Great questions, because I mean, the way the heat is, the way we receive the heat is going to determine what outcomes that will be, really? of course. Yeah. So if you do the traditional Finnish sauna, then there will be some other outcomes than compared to or what we know of today um, from the infrared uh, saunas. So infrared saunas um, should also be divided into if it's near infrared, middle or far infrared saunas. Okay. So <laughs> wow. getting advanced. Yes. Yeah. So... You can say that the near infrared saunas they penetrate um, the heat, uh, the body, uh, the skin uh, deeper, but um, is not getting your skin hot. So that means that you you won't feel the heat, but it it is working deeper in your tissue, okay. right? So you have the middle that's something in between, but the far infrared that makes your skin. Um, heat up it's only around 40 degrees celsius um i don't know in fahrenheit sure but <laughs> no worries <laughs> someone will figure it out we'll figure it out yeah. Yeah, yeah um so it will make your skin uh, feel warm but not too warm so it's a mild kind of a sauna but what the good thing is about that is it is going to affect your your um your blood vessels so meaning it will dilate your blood vessels and you will have that better blood flow to the skin and there's research showing that 
it increases the collagen and elastat elast elastin yep. in the, the elasticity skin. in the skin, the collagen. Collagen, yeah. exactly. Um and it it will make the skin appear younger. So these these studies have shown this and also it works good on eczema. So there's studies on eczema. 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 E eczema. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's just yeah. like so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I struggled too. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> so these studies on young boys so shows that they have um, uh, reduced symptoms or less um, eczema. No, I didn't. That was great. Eczema. Was good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, good. Um, and um, and redness. So that means that it actually is good for wound healing. So there are studies showing that these infrared saunas are a great tool. I would say that if you are not very keen on the very hot sauna, which is the Finnish style, then I think that infrared sauna is great. Also because it's milder to your cardiovascular system. Plus intense for the heart rate. It's intense. Yes, exactly. So if you, if you don't want that very intense heat and sitting there sweating in your and sitting in your own sweat yeah. even. Then I think that infrared sauna is great. You just sit there a little bit longer, but you will also have some of the benefits on your cardiovascular system. You will also have the benefits on your skin, uh, or, or, and, and you will also have the increase of, um, um, what, what I wanted to say, nitric oxide, that was one of them. So it makes your um, blood vessels more um, elastic because the endothelial cells will increase. So you will have a better, contraction and dilation of your blood cells, which will help your cardiovascular system as well. So you will have some of the benefits as well on the infrared. infrared style, okay. Yeah. But what's the, the Finnish or Swedish style, I guess, saunas, what are the benefits of that? Yeah. When you feel the, the steam, the but heat, you, you, feel and, you know. It. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I usually put mine up to like 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Uh, 198 to 200, which it gets hot right away. Yeah. You feel, whoa, it's like an oven. You know. Do you pour water? And then I over pour water it? on the rocks, and then it's like, oh, it feels like another 20 degrees every time. And I try to go in there for about 20 to 30 minutes at a time. And um, what are the what are the, so what are the differences or the benefits of doing that yeah. style of sauna? Yeah, but it's a good rate. It's a good it's a good timing, I would say. So if we there's more research on the Finnish style compared okay. to the infrared, sure. I would say. Um, that on the infrared, it's more on the skin thing and what I just talked about before. But on the uh, Finnish style, which is um, which is hot rocks and, yes. and pouring water over the stones and steaming and stuff like that, it's more hard on your cardiovascular system. But definitely, there's more research on that uh, showing some really good outcomes. And here I refer to some um, Finnish sauna studies, where this cohort study where they have followed two to three thousand sauna bathers uh, in Finland, starting from 1982, I think it was. Mm. So they followed them for many years. And in 2015, they published this amazing study where they looked at all these people who have done saunas. How many, uh, how many times per week did they go into the sauna? So they divided them into, into groups of how much sauna, so how many times per week, and how many minutes per time. And what they saw was that and the control group did it one time per week. So I think that's amazing because a control group could be something totally different and you mean, I mean, we couldn't almost not compare, right? But in this study, I think it's great that they the did control some, yeah, group, they once did a week. some. 
So they were not completely other people's style. The same phenotype, as we say. So And they did this for like 20 year study or something, right? Yeah, this is 25 years. Wow. So 28 now, I think wow. it is. Yeah, okay. so it's a, so long, a long study. Yeah. Long study. So what they found in 2015 was that if you do saunas two or three times per week, um, uh, you will have a lower risk of cardiovascular diseases um, of 27%. Really? Yeah. And if you do it seven times per week, which is like one time every, every day, day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. But if you do that, it's up to like 50, 60, 46, I think it was. So it's a lot. 46% decrease Decrease of, of cardiovascular wow, diseases. really? Compared to those who were uh, doing it one time per week. Really? Yeah. But you also have to keep it within a certain time window. So What's I, the time looked, window? Yeah, I looked at that because it's like, is there like a higher threshold for when it's not good for you anymore? And it seems like at 30 minutes, if you stay in there for one session, 30 minutes, it plateaus out with the benefits. So it, meaning that we did see, we seen an increase again in cardiovascular uh, diseases. So it means- After that time. Yeah. So oh. hormetic stress back to that. So if you overdo the healthy kind of stress, it becomes bad stress. Interesting. Be because you overdo it, and then the cells become um, exhausted, and they age faster. So you want to give them that burst of like the healthy kind of stress, shock them a bit with the cold or with the heat, but not overdo it because then it becomes more of the chronic one that we know about, right? Chronic stress, yeah. yeah. So no more than 30 minutes at a no time. No more than 30. What's the temperature range? And can you do... 30 minutes back to back in the same day? Like if you go hot, cold, hot, you know, what is what does that look like? Yeah, so I think the lowest time there was like 10 minutes, okay. which is a good timing because if we look, compare with my studies, we saw that if you do 57 minutes per week, so now I just jumped from the Finnish sauna studies to your to, study, yeah, to yeah. my study. 57 minutes total in total the heat. Total per week, yeah, yes. per week. Divided on two to three days where you alternate between the cold plunges and the sauna. And if you divide those 30, uh, 57 minutes out on these two to three days and only two saunas per day, then that divides up to 10 to 14 minutes each session, which if you then look at the sauna uh, cohort study, the window there for where we see the most benefits is actually around 10 to 20 minutes. So it's like if you can keep it, it seems that if you can keep it within this time window, you should be doing healthy kind of stress to your body. But overdoing it is not good if sure. you stay longer than that. How much total time in one day should someone do in the, in the heat? Like if you wanted to do multiple rounds, yeah. how much, what's the maximum? If you got out after 20, 30 minutes, could you go back in later, or is it too much, you think? It depends on how many times you want to go. So uh, 37 minutes per week, you can divide that out. So how 57 minutes, right? 57 yeah, yeah, minutes, yeah. yeah. So if you divide that out, you can do it as it fits you, of course, but maybe not over, or go over the 30 minutes. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so you, you can play with this a little bit if you look at these studies and you compare this, but doing 10 to 15 minutes should be feasible and should be enough per session. So if you do that, you can do that two times on, in one day, and that adds up to 30 minutes or something. Now, what's the benefit of doing hot therapy and cold therapy at the same time? I mean... 
alternating. In the same day, alternating, yeah. 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 The, the benefits of that. Yeah, well, yeah. Are, are there benefits? Is that not a good thing to do? Is it better to do cold and hot at the same day, alternating? Yeah, so the alternating thing is what I studied in my uh, study. So that's actually based on plunging, going into the cold water, then you go into the sauna, cold water, sauna, cold and cold water, and then you end on the cold water. That's what I recommend. Should we always end on the cold? Yeah, I think so. Why is that? Yeah. What are the benefits of ending in the cold? Well, if you end on the cold, then you activate your metabolism once again, right? Oh, man. It's always, <laughs> it's always more painful. You just want to be warm and just yes, be like, all right, I'm right. done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I understand. Uh, and, and I must say that the only reason why I did this myself and practiced this is because I didn't have access to a sauna. So I went to the open sea in rain and uh, snow and went for a winter swim and in the beginning i didn't have a sauna so i couldn't really try this out myself but what i realized was that i had to go up and walk home and that was cold but eventually when i tried this a few times i started to realize that i warmed up quick quicker but also that i felt like i've done a workout and then i started to figure out well this must be my metabolism still going on and it, it, it seems that Still burning, burning, just burning. And it lasts for these 48 hours afterwards. Really? So you have this after burn, you can almost say this after exercise. So if you end on the cold, you force your body to heat up naturally. And if it heats up naturally, you activate the brown fat for hours afterwards because you the body is trying to like heat up the, the temp, uh, crank up the temperature again, but it takes energy to do that. And doing so, it takes glucose and fat from your bloodstream. It has to. And the muscles are even helping to do that. So if you shiver a little bit, that's okay. And it's good because you burn off calories. So if if someone watching or listening said, you know what? I want to be the best student I can be. I want to be, uh, you know, Susanna, tell me exactly what I should be doing for the next six months of my life. If I can fully optimize heat and cold therapy, if I've got access to this, you know, I can find the gym that's got the plunge and the sauna, or I've got one. What is the perfect protocol for heat and cold therapy to optimize my metabolism, to burn fat, to reduce my risk of disease, to live longer, to feel better? What is that perfect protocol? How many times a day or week should I be doing all of this? How, what should I start with? How long and how should I finish? Yeah. It's a really good question. And I would love to like say, this is the perfect protocol, but I don't think we can actually say that there is one. Maybe not at the moment, but we can say that we have some guidelines here. Okay. And, and I think it should be individualized. Okay. Depending on who you are, how is your nervous system? Do you have anxiety? Do you have any other diseases that affects you? Do you have depression? Do you have, there are so many things mm -hmm. that I think also determines should you do this uh, this much or this, uh, how should you even start this? But I think a guideline could be 11 minutes of cold per week and 57 minutes of uh, heat per week divided on two to three days. It could be a protocol that you could go for or aim for and ending on the cold is maybe also advanced. So maybe wait with that or start with it if you feel that you can. So it really depends on who you are, I would say, but it's a guide you could go for it that sure <laughs> sure and is there if there's someone that was like you know what they're already in great shape yeah. they want to push the 
the boundaries per se without going over the boundaries? Um, what would you prescribe to them as something to try? Obviously it's all individual and they need to test it, but can they go over 11 minutes of cold therapy a week and over the 57 minutes? Or would you say, try not to go over that? Even if you have perfect health, you know, great biomarkers and all that stuff. Yeah, I love that you asked me this question because it's also about how can you both, how can you optimize your health, but also is there, there any extra benefits of doing so? But do we even know that? Maybe we don't. We don't, we don't know if above 11 minutes is beneficial for you. Maybe it's actually where we see the benefits. Talking about the hermetic stress before. So we have like this window. We do see that for heat. So it's very possible we would also see that for cold um, and the alternation between the cold and the heat. So if we want that perfect window, we would need more research, I would say. But we could aim for the 11 minutes per week. If you do 12, you will be fine. Yeah, I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure yeah, it's yeah. not like that. It's just a magic number 11. Sure, sure, <laughs> it's sure. just in, in the paper. Um, but um, you could go for around that number. But I would say it, there is no need to do more because if you also want it to be healthy for you, you don't want to risk anything, then why do more? You don't need more. Got you it. don't need it. Yeah. It's like not necessary to sure. take the risk. So if you do this, you know, 11 minutes, 57 minutes, your metabolism is going to be optimizing itself. You're going to be burning these ex excess calories that you don't need. And it's going to, you know, have the afterburn effect as well when you do this. And yeah. if you compound it week after week, I'm assuming your body just becomes more efficient. Exactly. In your metabolism and your nervous system will also open that window for both pain and for stress. So you won't feel pain and stress as efficient or as as hard as you did before because you increase that pain threshold. So by doing so, you work on so many different levels of your nervous system. So your tolerance is just increasing, but that doesn't mean that you should push yourself too much. I see what you're saying. So there's yes. some, some competition going into uh -huh. this as well because everybody, we are competitive human beings. Let's so push it, let's yeah, go farther. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But but be mindful around doing so will push maybe your nervous system out where it shouldn't be and also maybe increasing risk of uh, things that we have to learn about. Yeah. This so is, it's like competition should not be part of this. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like this. This is something you mentioned here that I think is really important because I think a lot of society in general has become too comfortable and doesn't focus on intentional levels of stress to create more emotional agility, right? There's a lot of emotional weakness, yeah. I think, that certain people have who haven't conditioned themselves to tolerate pain. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned here, when we deliberately stress the body and the mind or the brain with cold and heat therapy in a contained amount of time, we increase our pain threshold, which makes us less reactive in the world, Yeah, more compassionate, more kind, more generous. And we aren't going to be in fight or flight consistently throughout the day. We're going to have more calm and peace when there's chaos around us. And it sounds like your test studies, the control group that implemented the cold and heat therapy over six months was they were able to tolerate pain more. Is that correct? Yeah. And also 
increasing that pain threshold makes them more, you can say, oh, it makes them less prone to stress. So right. you will be less prone to mental stress and also feeling that physical stress. So any kind of pain, actually. Yes. So because you, stress causes physical pain. Yeah, you exactly. hold on to the stress, your body, your heart, your chest feels heavy. Yeah. You get headaches, yeah. all these different things. And that's why it's important to deliberately inflict pain on your body. Yeah. And it creates this motivation of doing things that are actually hard because you have already done it and you have overcome it and you have now realized, oh, it's not as painful anymore. So you maybe run two kilometers, but then you fi find out, well, I'm not that sore anymore. And then I can run three and four and five. And then suddenly maybe you're running 10 wow. kilometers. I mean, you increase your pain threshold by opening that window for whatever stressor you are taking in. So now I'm talking about some physical stress, but it could also be a mental stress. So we know from research that if you get adapted to physical stress, you open your window also for mental stress. Absolutely. Is there anything else around cold or heat therapy that we should know about around metabolism, hormone balance, optimizing our health? Is there anything else that you think we need to talk about? Or cover? Uh, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, is there anything yeah. we're missing that you think Is there people... anything we're missing? I think we've been around a lot of things. Um, even the breathing part, I think that breath work is one of the things that actually reconnects the body and mind. And it's a great tool. This is the way I got into like learning about breath work and how breathing in a certain way or in a certain technique is connecting the body and mind because when i started to research and writing my ethical protocol i needed to figure out how do i teach people how to go into the cold water right and some tools needed to be found <laughs> in my practical way sure. of thinking about this uh, this uh, this research so i was thinking okay what what is it that i need to do and i was starting winter swimming myself because i had to learn what is going on and one thing i realized before I went into studying this, is my breathing, when I went into the water or even before, totally determined the outcome of this plunge. So if I didn't, if I wasn't mindful around it, then I would have not as good as an experience if, as if I was mindful around it. So I started to practice a bit with how to breathe before and after and, uh, and in the water and figured that if I do it slow and try to slow it down, I also do that when I exercise actually. So after like a sprint or something, then I try to like do a, a, like a slow inhale and then so try to slow down the heart rate and then you actually catch your breath way quicker. And you also do that in the cold water. By doing slow breathing. Yeah, exactly. What is the optimal way to breathe to put your brain and your body in harmony and balance when you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed? The best way to breathe. Yes. Is I there was, a breathing technique? Is there some type of... I think there's several, but I think nasal, nasal, slow nasal breathing and doing it just for a couple of minutes actually is enough if we, we should do something like very short and practical. But slow nasal breathing. In and out of the nose. Yes, yes. And you can also do box breathing. I think that's very efficient. One, I have used that a lot. Um, so doing this kind of like practice this every day 
box breathing is actually very good, I think. Can you so, explain box breathing? Inhale through the nose for four seconds and then exhale. Um, and then you exhale a little bit longer. So then do maybe six seconds. And then you hold your breath. And you hold four. And then you can start over. So you can you can play around with that a little bit, but it's a really good thing if you can do the exhale a little bit longer than yeah. the inhale right. because that slows down the, the heart rate. So if you are anxious about something, if you are going to do a talk or if you are going to a meeting or something and you are a little bit nervous, you can do this right before just for a couple of minutes and your heart rate will go down and you can think because then you have oxygen going to your brain and then you can... Then you can answer, actually. <laughs> if we are, if our heart rate is up and we are shallow breathing, what is happening to the brain? If you are shallow breathing through the mouth, for example, you are activating your sympathetic part of your nervous system. And you don't want to do that if you want to go in and, and, and do something or you need to use your brain. And going on a stage or going to a presentation or you, you want to go to a job interview, you want to be calm because that's going to increase the blood flow to the brain. And that means also oxygen. And you need the oxygen to think. So um, doing shallow breathing is going to activate the sympathetic part of your nervous system. That decreases the blood flow to the brain. So you should try and calm down by doing the nasal breathing or box breathing before. Yeah, yeah so get more oxygen to the brain. <laughs> keeps you focused and keeps you more alert also, but it keeps you focused. And that's the main thing you want to be yes. This is inspiring. I love this stuff. I've been, you know, studying and implementing a lot of these things myself over the years. And so it's it's helpful for me to understand more of what is what is helping me, how I can improve it or adjust my strategies and also just understanding how it impacts my body and my brain. So I'm so grateful for all this information. Uh, where can we follow and support you the most right now, Susanna? Where you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook and YouTube and all these places, but where can we support you the most today? Well, actually, I have, I'm just finishing up an education that I've been working on for, yeah, I think it's more than a year now. Um, and this is aimed for um, instructors and spars. Um, so if people want to learn more on how all this works and how to implement this for themselves and to use for their customers or something like that. So I've made this education to teach the physiology and the biochemistry, but in layman terms. Meaning, because I, I think that people need to learn more about this in order for them also to teach this. And I think there's a lot of teaching going on. So, yeah. So I'm making this education. It will be available Soon. by the end of the year. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where can we go for that or get on the wait list for that? Uh, that's on my website on Soberginstitute.com. Okay. Uh, and there you can go and sign up to get a notification for the education okay and i'll send that out sober soberginstitute.com right soberginstitute.com okay so we'll make sure to check that out you're also you post mostly on instagram right is that your main place yeah but i'm everywhere you're everywhere yeah exactly <laughs> we'll have this stuff linked up as well in the description but soberginstitute.com is the best place to go s-o-e-b-e-r-g correct institute.com um this has been inspiring i'm I'm excited for the work that you've done and the research you've done. It took, you know, six, seven years of research to be able to get this information for us. So thank you for dedicating your whole, you know, PhD to helping humanity improve through oh. this information. <laughs> I, I can only imagine how patient you must be to get 
uh, you know, research and, and, you know, a scientific study complete in seven years of doing this and all the different people that you have to coordinate and all the different data points, that's a lot of life. It's a lot of time of waiting of like hoping you get some good intel back. So I want to acknowledge you, Susanna, for making a decision and a commitment to doing that research for that long, for staying dedicated to this in the ups and downs, because I'm assuming there's a lot of challenges in it. You gotta you gotta get the funding, you gotta deal with thousands of people you're, you know, doing the data with. But I acknowledge you for taking on this challenge and giving us these tools. Thank because you so much. Because otherwise, a lot of people could be doing ice or heat, and they could be harming themselves. They could be doing it incorrectly and and hurting their bodies and their and their minds. So I really acknowledge you for doing that work. Seven years is a long time to to dedicate your life to one thing, and um, and I'm and I'm grateful that you did this because so many people in the last five years have been getting more into ice and heat therapy, and now they have you know, tools and science backing it even more now. I think they were feeling the benefits and seeing it, but now they know the benefits based on your research. I've seen Huberman talk about you and your research. And so it's really cool to see the impact that you're starting to have in a big way. And I'm excited to see more of it coming in the future. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome, <laughs> Susanna. This is, a, this is a question I ask everyone at the end. Um, it's a hypothetical question. It's called Three Truths. Uh-huh. So imagine you get to live as long as you want to live in this world, but eventually it's your last day. You're as old as you want to be, but it's your last day on this earth. And you've accomplished everything you want to accomplish. Whatever direction you go, family, career, life, all of it, it happens for you. Uh, but for whatever reason, on this last day, we don't have access to any more of your content. So this conversation doesn't stay here in this world, it goes away. Your research goes away. All the conversations you've had that are you know, recorded, we don't have access to anymore. Hypothetical scenario. But on this last day, if you got to leave behind three lessons with the world, three things that you knew to be true, that you would wanna share with the world, <laughs> what would be those three truths for you? Oh my, <laughs> that's a really good question. Uh, so I think that, oh, it's most life lessons, I would say, because it's not maybe that much about my science because, well, my science has showed me and what I want to show and give to the world is follow your passion because if you do what makes you happy, it's going to work out somehow in some way and it can take seven years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or more, I don't know. But if you follow your interest and your passion, something good will come out of it. You just stick with it. It's not even, it doesn't have to be greener on the other side just because it goes faster or better or whatever for others. And then I would say also, if you want to be successful and you want to, yeah, you want to be successful, I think one of the things is try not to look for validation too much. Try to validate with yourself is this what I want to do? Am I focused on something here? Is um, some kind of external things trying to lure me out of the way? Or am I going off track here? Is, am I following my path that I think is interesting? I don't need to ask everybody for their validation to get what I 
what values what would be valuable mm, to me mm. in my life right yeah so validation is a is can be a little bit of a dangerous thing i think it's validating with yourself is better you cannot uh, you cannot expect other people to completely understand you that's the one thing right it's it's if you expect that then you have to wait for a very long time right and you won't do anything because you're scared the people would would judge you or won't understand you or so yeah i think that i've had a lot of people not understanding me but i did understand myself what i wanted to do and not only with my research but maybe a lot of things so it's like but i've been happy with my choices and just following those paths okay. so stay with true to yourself okay what's the third thing oh uh, the third thing what would that be um i would say your family be with your family even though that you think that there's so many things you need to do i think that family is just so important i know my boys are growing up and they're 13 and 11 and 13 right now so i'm just thinking they're moving away very soon and i have them right now so i also want to spend time with them but luckily they love to do what i love to do that's nice <laughs> <laughs> so i just bring them so finding things that you can connect with and do together is is actually giving a lot of love and a lot of uh, value in your in your life if you can find that that's beautiful i appreciate that Susanna. Uh, final question, what's your definition of greatness? My <laughs> definition of greatness? Oh, God. Greatness is when you do something with passion, you love, and you also have an ability to do that every day, and mm. you can just follow that path. I mean, if it brings you joy or money or it brings you success in some way, good. But as long as you can just do it and you can strive with that and be mm. happy with it, that's greatness. Mm, Susanna, thank you so much for being here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and it inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's episode with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me personally, as well as ad-free listening, then make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Share this with a friend on social media and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Let me know what you enjoyed about this episode in that review. I really love hearing feedback from you and it helps us figure out how we can support and serve you moving forward. And I want to remind you if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and not a yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.